Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we're going to be recapping all of the crazy action from what was a very great week 16 of the 2022 NFL season. You know, we kicked it off, you know, in MetLife Stadium on Thursday Night Football as we had a big-time AFC matchup between the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Jets. We also went out to um, Christmas Eve, which was our main slate of games, and we had some pretty good matchups, most notable one being an NFC showdown between the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles down in Arlington. And just so much more action. There were so many great games we had over the weekend. And, you know, I don't want to waste my time, you know, just, you know, constantly trying to preview each and every single one. So just all I ask, guys, is please make sure that you like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can just to make sure we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast. And, you know, guys, seriously, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate all that y'all do, all the support that y'all show, and just, you know, continue to be some of the best supporters that anybody could have. And, you know, guys, once again, I don't want to waste y'all's time, and I don't want to waste my time either because, you know, also we got a lot of football we got to watch here during the holiday season, and I've got a lot of football that we need to recap for you beautiful people. So I say, you know, let's talk some darn football. So anyway, to kick us all off here in Week 16, our holiday weekend here in the NFL on Thursday night football, our lone Thursday night game, we would have a, you know, Big-time playoff picture in the AFC matchup, or, the, or a big-time matchup in, you know, regarding the AFC playoff picture between the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are off or coming off a fresh upset against the Dallas Cowboys at home, in which Trevor Lawrence just looked phenomenal, especially in the second half, leading that Jaguars team into overtime, and then Rayshon Jenkins doing his thing and getting a pick six against Dak Prescott to seal the game. And then they're going on the road up to New York where it's, you know, really cold, damp weather, you know, not not your ideal, you know, not your ideal game if you're from the state of Florida, taking on a New York Jets team who for the second consecutive week do not have Mike White. So you're gonna have to go with your former second overall pick in Zach Wilson, who is safe to say the least, the locker room does not really get along with them very much. And also on the field, just has not looked like a second overall pick and you know, to actually talk about how this game went, Zach Wilson just continued to, you know, we saw a lot of promise last week against the Lions. He looked a lot better, didn't look as, you know, inconsistent as we've gotten used to seeing from Zach Wilson, but he went right back to his same ways, just missing passes and just overall not being good, getting the ball intercepted, not getting out of the pocket when you need to, and well, eventually the Jets would say enough is enough, and you know, despite not having Mike White, they would bench Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson's night would end with him going 9 for 18, 92 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. I mean, I told so many people, and they thought I was crazy. You know, him coming out of BYU, he had a great pro day. He was able to sling a football 50, 60 yards, you know, running to his left, you know, off-balance type of throw, but I mean... He's, he's not pressured. He doesn't have pads on. You know, how's that going to translate to a professional football game, mind you, when you have these humongous guys, you know, running at you, trying to knock your head off? And for Zach Wilson, it's just, it's never translated. So, New York, they would go with the former South Dakota quarterback in Chris uh, Streveler, who, no offense, I have never heard of one bit. But um, Chris would come into this game and, you know, really didn't play horrible considering, you know, getting kind of thrown literally into the lion's den, you know, during that moment as Chris on the day would go 10 of 15, 90 yards passing, didn't get a touchdown or interception, 
But overall, was not that bad because he mostly did run the football when he did come into the game as he would actually be the lead rusher for the Jets in this game, which is kind of funny to think as he would have nine carries for 54 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. And as you can just tell from stat line wise, this was not really a great game for the Jets offense. Now, as we all know, their defense has been really good this year, you know, haven't been that bad or anything like that. Definitely in this game, got a little bit more exposed and, you know, you look on the flip side for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Their offense was connecting really this entire game. I mean, yes, they didn't put up as many points as they probably could have, but still were pretty effective. 20 of 31, 229 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions for Trevor Lawrence, who has looked really good these past few weeks. It's really started to develop into the quarterback that we all knew and loved at Clemson. Definitely, you know, breaking away from Urban Meyer definitely has helped him a tad bit in his development. So it's good to see that from Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, also his Clemson teammate, Travis Etienne Jr., 22 carries for 83 yards rushing, so he looked really good as well. Trevor Lawrence also Trevor Lawrence also got it done running the football with 51 yards rushing and a touchdown. Mm, excuse me, y'all. Now, um, for receiving wise for the Jaguars on the day, Evan Ingram in his return to MetLife Stadium, you know, the former New York Giant, he definitely had a little bit of a revenge game. Seven receptions for 113 yards receiving and zero touchdowns on the day, but. I mean, just what a game for Evan Ingram, especially in his first game back up in New York. Now, for Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence still continues to, you know, struggle a little bit with his fumbles because, you know, he's got to have at least one fumble a game as he would have one. But, I mean, overall, Jacksonville's defense was just absolutely shut down in this game, led by Rayshon Jenkins once again, who tied Devin Lloyd for the lead in tackles in this game with nine. So, I mean, this Jacksonville Jaguars team who – is super young, you know, offensive, offensively and defensively. They've got a lot of really good young pieces they can build around. And, you know, Devin Lloyd, the former Utah linebacker, you know, you've still got um, Tyron Walker. I don't know why I almost forgot his name, the number one overall pick in this past year's draft. So, you know, Jacksonville has a lot of really good young pieces that obviously can be future stepping stones for them. And, you know, Jaguars, with this win as they now improve to 7-8, and eight, are not necessarily in the playoffs just yet. They still need a you know a few more things to happen, but definitely if they win out, they they end up, they can they can win the division if they win out these next two games, these next two weeks. So just something to kind of keep an eye on for the Jacksonville Jaguars, as you know they are nearing a potential playoff you know playoff uh, spot. And then for the New York Jets, their chances just continue to get slimmer and slimmer, especially with this loss against Jacksonville, which was a game that. They really needed to win, you know, just to definitely help themselves in terms of being able to get a wild card spot. Um, you know, definitely with Mike White still being banged up, even if he comes back, he's still going to be very cautious with his ribs, you know, especially with how much he's been just getting absolutely crushed the past few games he's been starting. So, anyway, the final score of this game on Thursday night would be 19-3 to Jacksonville. As Jacksonville, they now improved to 7-8 and on this season. And then for the New York Jets, they now fall to seven and eight behind just some really bad offensive, you know, quarterbacking by Zach Wilson, which this was really his final chance in the NFL, and I think it's safe to say that he definitely has, you know, pushed that opportunity away. So definitely I think Zach Zach Wilson's time as a starting quarterback in the NFL is pretty much Sirenara and will likely never really see him again as a starting quarterback here in the NFL. Now, y'all, for our next game that we had, and it's not on Thursday. But we're going to go over to Saturday, a.k.a. Christmas Eve, as we just had an immense amount of games. This was going to be our main day because, obviously, we have a triple header on Sunday on Christmas Day. But the first game on Christmas Eve that I want to talk about to kick us off in our noon slate 
is going to be the Buffalo Bills going out to Soldier Field to take on Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. Now, for the Chicago Bears, they kept it pretty close last week with the NFC leading Philadelphia Eagles. You know, obviously, Jalen Hurts was able to run the football pretty well at three rushing touchdowns on them, but we saw Justin Fields throw and run the football really effectively. Justin Fields had another miraculous long, uh, what could have been a touchdown run, but got called back because he he, he barely stepped out of bounds. You know, this guy, this guy just continues to show flashes of being a franchise quarterback for the Chicago Bears, but their defense continues to hinder them, and now they're going up against one of the best offenses in all of the NFL in the Buffalo Bills, who had a really good game last week against their in-division rival, the Miami Dolphins. So, in this game... Things were a little bit, you know, unfamiliar, you could say, for the Buffalo Bills because at halftime, they were trailing the Chicago Bears 10-6. to Now, the weather conditions throughout the entire league, because a lot of these games are played up north, were just frigid, you know, under 20 degrees. I mean, just absolutely horrendous conditions. And, you know, for Buffalo, you would have thought, okay, not that big of a you know difference for them. They played up in what would have been a blizzard last week against the Dolphins in which they were able to throw the football really well, run the football really well. But in this game against the Chicago Bears, the Bears finally learned how to play somewhat of a defense, you know, with some of their young secondary players and were able to get two interceptions off of Josh Allen. Kyler Gordon, a young cornerback for the Chicago Bears out of Washington, he was able to uh, uh, nab himself an interception and then Nick Morrow as well, a linebacker for the Bears. You know, Josh Allen definitely did not have his best game throwing the football 14 and 25 159 yards passing with one touchdown and two interceptions now luckily for the buffalo bills those two interceptions that josh allen did throw wouldn't result in any chicago points so thankfully the bears just offense could not capitalize off of opportunities that were given to them but for buffalo you're wondering okay then how were they able to win this game the run game. The run game. They have two solid running backs who I think are a 1A, 1B type of tandem. Kind of similar to Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott for the Cowboys. As Devin Singletary on the day would have 12 carries for 106 yards rushing and one touchdown. Also had a really good 33-yard um, touchdown run, which kind of helped give Buffalo a lot more momentum to ultimately close this game out. And then James Cook, who I thought was really, and I mean really underrated going into the 2022 NFL draft coming out of Georgia because he wasn't really utilized you know, at Georgia. More of a receiving back, which obviously kind of similar to his brother, is a really good you know, running back coming out of the backfield. But James Cook also was a really good runner, very similar to his brother as well. 11 carries for 99 yards rushing and a touchdown in this game. Josh Allen, you know, he's going to run the football a little bit. Six carries for 41 yards rushing and one touchdown in this game. So Buffalo had no issue running the football. So the best thing I like about the Buffalo Bills and their offense is despite, you know, facing some adversity, especially early on in this game, they were able to come out in the second half and just utterly dominate the Chicago Bears, putting up 22 points in the second half. You know, once again, weren't able to really do anything receiving-wise, but luckily, the Chicago Bears really could not do much of anything after the first two quarters of football, and really just after the first quarter of football. Justin Fields in this game, as we all know, his offensive line gets him killed pretty much every single game. Um, Justin Fields would go 15 and 23, 119 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Now he's only sacked two times, so if you're Justin Fields, it's like, ooh, it's not as bad, but still had a lot of pressure in this game. The run game, 
not the not the same Justin Fields, you know, we we we've seen the past few weeks. Only had 11 rushing yards in this game. David Montgomery had 62 of his own, but really just Chicago was just very lackluster on offense. You know, both these teams had trouble, you know, maintaining the football because of the conditions as Buffalo would fumble the ball three times. Luckily, they only lost one of them, which was from Gabriel Davis. And then for Chicago, you know, very similar, only lost one, uh, you know, one fumble, but just a lot of ball security issues in this game. But luckily, Buffalo would get hot when it when it mattered the most, despite it being absolutely freezing up there in Chicago as Buffalo would go on to survive a scare from the Chicago Bears. 35-13 to 13 as Buffalo, they continue to be one of the main forces in the AFC. And, you know, despite the score, definitely was a little bit more close than I think Buffalo wanted it. And then for the Chicago Bears, no one really expected them to have any chance in this game. And for the fact that they really, you know, were able to contain the Buffalo Bills in the first half, I mean, there's at least one positive that you could take away from this game. But um, anyways, y'all, for our next game that we had here in our noon slate on Christmas Eve, we're going to go up to Minneapolis, Minnesota at U.S. Bank Stadium as we had a really meaningful game in the NFC between the New York Giants and the Minnesota Vikings. Now, for some reason, Minnesota just cannot escape one possession games. I don't know what it is, but this team, for some reason, just loves to keep things close, and that's exactly what they would do in this game, as Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson were both connecting on fire today. Now, where Kirk Cousins... He should have had two interceptions in this game. One got called back due to a, a defensive pass interference, and then another one got called back due to the ball barely touching the ground. But outside of what could have been two interceptions and you know constantly having a ton of pressure and getting sacked four times in this game, Kirk Cousins looked pretty good. 34 of 48, 299 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. Now, I talked a little bit about Justin Jefferson and this this cat just balled out in the second, you know, second half, already making, you know, more Minnesota Viking history in this game. He would lead this team pretty much to the win. I mean, that final drive, he was the main reason they were able to get down the field and set up the game-winning field goal by Vance Joseph as Justin Jefferson on the day with 12 receptions for 133 yards receiving and one touchdown. Now I've got to show a lot of love to TJ Hawkinson as well, who was a trade line, or trade deadline acquisition for the Vikings from the Detroit Lions. He bought out in this game as well, 13 receptions, 109 yards receiving, and two touchdowns in this game. And, you know, for Minnesota defensively, they played pretty good. Were able to, you know, semi-contain Saquon Barkley, who was really going to be the focal point of, you know, that New York Giants offense. And that's exactly what happened. You know, Daniel Jones definitely had a few struggles during the football, but I don't want to put all of the blame on him because his top target in this game, Richie James, had two crushing drops. But Daniel Jones on the day would go 30 of 42, 334 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Would get sacked three times as well, but I mean... I know I'm not the only one that thinks this, but it is so good to see Saquon Barkley finally healthy, being able to do all those finesse moves that he makes, literally doing his hops and, and everything like that. I mean, it is just so good to see him finally back. And in this game, he looked pretty good, you know, running the football and receiving the football. 14 carries for 84 yards, rushing and one touchdown on the day. And that would really be it for the offense of the Giants. They just, despite their you know defense playing really sound in this game, which won't get talked about enough, the offense just could not be able to capitalize off a lot of, you know, the you know three and outs or being able to force the Minnesota Vikings to punt the football. So, you know, New York Giants, the defense gets a ton of credit, but the offense, which is so badly just injured and doesn't have much depth, 
once again, kind of similar to the Chicago Bears. No one really expected them to win this game, but I'll give them hats off for being able to go into Minnesota and really make this a fight that came down to the last seconds in this game as you know, a very similar situation to last week in which we saw Vance Joseph kick the game-winning field goal against the Indianapolis Colts. This time, this weekend, though, he would have to kick a 61-yard game-winning field goal, which he would drain as the Minnesota Vikings would be able to win another one-possession game over the New York Giants, 27-24 as the Minnesota Vikings. They now improve to 12-3 and on the year and are still in contention to be able to you know, get that number one spot, but it all depended on how the Eagles will do against the Dallas Cowboys. And then for the New York Giants, you know, you did lose this game, but luckily you won a huge matchup last week against the Washington Commanders. So that at least will keep you alive in the wild card you know, race and everything like that. And also they had a few other teams lose, so it wasn't as bad of a loss as it could have been as the New York Giants. They fall to 8-6-1. and one. And, oh, man, the Giants, Giants, Giants. Such a bright start to the season. And, unfortunately, everything would just crumble towards the second half. But injuries have been a huge issue for the Giants throughout this entirety of the season. Now, y'all, in what was one of the more entertaining games of, of the weekend, too. I know I talked a little bit about Minnesota and New York being one of my personal favorites. But I think this game... Might be, might have been my favorite just overall. We're going to go out to Carolina as we had Jared Goff and the just absolutely soaring Detroit Lions taking on Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers. Now, Sam Darnold has looked pretty good so far as the starting quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Um, you know, being able to not have to do too much because the run game has been so good. And, well, in this game, you know, we're talking about run game. Holy mother of love, did Carolina run the football just incredibly good in this game. Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard, both who are Big 12 products, Chuba Hubbard out of Oklahoma State and Deontay Foreman out of Texas, who has really seen a resurgence in his career this year with Carolina, had multiple three-touchdown games a few weeks ago and racked up a ton of rushing yards in this game against the Detroit Lions as Deontay Foreman would have 21 carries, for 165 yards rushing and one touchdown. Chuba Hubbard with 125 rushing yards of his own. We even saw Sam Darnold get involved in some of this uh, you know, running master classes. He would have a rushing touchdown as well. So, I mean, Carolina's offense was clicking on all cylinders in the first half, putting up 24 points against Detroit, as Detroit would only get one touchdown in the first half, as it looked like Carolina was just going to blow Detroit out of the water, as at halftime it was 24-7. But... Jared Goff and the Detroit Lions, their offense started to finally pick things up in the second half, getting um, 16 points. We saw Jared Goff lead the team in rushing yards, which if Jared Goff is leading you know, leading you in rushing yards in a game, you're most likely going to end up losing that game. And, well, I mean, when you see the result, that's exactly what happened. But Jared Goff, outside of just a really, you know, really bad first half, didn't look that bad in the second, 25 of 42, 355 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. Now, his favorite target in this game, alongside DJ Chark, both did pretty good. Almond St. Brown with 76 receiving yards, DJ Chark with 108. But as we all know, that, you know, very, very, you know, similar tale just too little, too late, and that's exactly what would happen for the Detroit Lions as Carolina would be able to pull off the upset at home against a Detroit Lions team who really needed to win this game and really needed to win out and were able to kind of be, you know, a spoiler as Carolina would go on to win 37-23 to as the Panthers. They now improve to 6-9 and on the year. And then for the Lions, you know, they now fall to 7-8 and and, you know, they have to have a few other circum you know, circumstances happen, but really a game that they just could not afford to lose. 
Now, y'all, for our next game that we're going to talk about in our noon slate, we're going to go down to Cleveland. Now, Cleveland literally looked like a winter wonderland. It was snowing like crazy. It was just frigid cold. You know, not conditions that if you're not from up north, you would not want to play in. And for the New Orleans Saints, they play in a dome. So, obviously, going to have to translate that over pretty well. And, you know, in this game, as, we, as I think a lot of us would have figured out, not a lot of offense, but, you know, when it mattered the most, the offense did show up. And for the New Orleans Saints, that would be in the third quarter because despite not, despite really not doing much through three quarters of football in this game, it would be the third quarter in which they would just absolutely ball out. Alvin Kamara, who has struggled a lot this year, whether it was due to injury issues, suspension issues, off-the-field stuff. We, we already know about that whole situation. He ran the football pretty effectively. 20 carries for 76 yards, rushing, and a touchdown. Taysom Hill, too, was also able to get into some of the action with nine carries for 56 yards, rushing, and a touchdown. And that would really be the only action that we got in this game. Andy Dalton had trouble throwing the football the entirety of this game as he'd go 8 of 15 for 92 yards passing with zero touchdowns and then one interception. Now, he also did fumble the ball twice, but luckily... Uh, New Orleans would recover, so don't worry, that wasn't that bad. And for the uh, for the Cleveland Browns, I mean, despite their defense playing pretty well in this game, you know, not even getting a sack, they still were able to, you know, contain that New Orleans Saints offense at least for a majority of the game. But the offense just unfortunately just really could not pick up the slack. Um, Deshaun Watson went 15 of 31, 135 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. Now. I'm not necessarily defending Deshaun Watson, but when you watched his one interception, which it deflected off of the hands of the wide receiver, it really was not his. Excuse me, wasn't really his fault. Now, yes, the ball placement was not that really good, kind of similar to you know Dak Prescott and Noah Brown last week against the Jaguars, but that would end up being a very costly interception because that would lead to Alvin Kamara scoring what would end up being the game-winning touchdown. So. Definitely a rough game for the Cleveland Browns as they officially, with this loss, have been eliminated from the playoff contention as the New Orleans Saints were going to beat the Browns 17-10 as the Saints. They now improved to 6-9 on the season. And then for the Browns, you know, they now fall to 6-9. And, and, you know, unfortunately for the Browns, they're in a better division right now. So kind of screws them over a little bit. But, I mean, at the same time, if you've watched this Browns offense this year, it has just been absolutely horrendous. Now, y'all, for our next game, we're going to go out to Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City as we had a pretty entertaining offensive matchup, right? You had Geno Smith, who's going to probably end up winning Comeback Player of the Year, taking on, you know, the glorified Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, in this game, you know, it's kind of been that whole joke about Geno Smith, you know, week one in that interview when they won against the Denver Broncos on Monday Night Football. I was talking about, you know, they tried to write me off, but I haven't written back yet. I think Geno Smith has written them back now because this has just been a really rough past few weeks for Geno Smith and the Seattle offense and you know losing Tyler Lockett for likely the rest of the year definitely eliminated what it was one of what has been one of the bigger factors for Seattle's offense and that has been the vertical threat being able to throw the football down the field and losing a guy like Tyler Lockett pretty much eliminates any hopes of doing that and it showed a lot of that in this game because Geno Smith 25 of 40, 215 yards passing with one touchdown, one interception. So not a miserable game, but just we're not able to get into the end zone or get any type of points. Now, Kenneth Walker was able to finally get back, you know, getting 100-plus rushing yard games, 26 carries on 107 yards rushing. But, I mean, Kansas City defensively, which they've been scrutinized a lot these past few weeks, and rightfully so, I mean, 
The Houston Texans took them into overtime last week down in Houston, so that kind of definitely put a little bit of a stain on this Kansas City Chiefs defense. They definitely were tired of hearing all the jokes as they absolutely dominated Seattle's offense in this game. Juan Thornhill was able to get that one interception off of Geno Smith. We also saw the Greek freak of football in George Karloftis, the first-round pick for the Kansas City Chiefs in this past year's draft, get himself a sack in. You know, for Kansas City's offense, didn't do anything, you know, majorly crazy. 16 to 28, 224 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day for Patrick Mahomes. Now, as we all know, him and Travis Kelsey are one of the more deadly duos throughout the entirety of the NFL, and it showed it once again. Travis Kelsey with six receptions for 113 yards receiving. We also saw Jarek McKinnon, who's been a touchdown machine these past few weeks, get himself another touchdown. And then Kadarius Toney on a jet sweep, you know, showcased a little bit of the, you know, the finesse that we saw him have at Florida, what he could have had at New York before all the injury issues. So it was good to see Kadarius Toney finally get into the end zone off of a jet sweep from Patrick Mahomes. As the Kansas City Chiefs, at home against the Seattle Seahawks. Definitely took advantage a little bit of the weather as they were able to beat the Seattle Seahawks 24-10 as the Chiefs. They now improved to 12-3 on the season. And then for Seattle, they now fall to 7-8. And their playoff hopes just got a little bit more slim. Now, y'all, for our next game that I want to talk about, we're going to go up to Baltimore. Now, this game, from the get-go, it was going to be a very low-scoring game, right? Both teams are on their quarterback two. And, you know, for the Baltimore Ravens, their quarterback, too, is dealing, dealing with a shoulder injury. So not a lot of offense is going to really be generated in this game. Both teams are going to have to really rely heavily on the run game. But, you know, for the Atlanta Falcons, despite only putting up nine points in this game, not getting a touchdown, had three field goals, Desmond Ritter looked pretty good throwing the football. 22 of 33, 218 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. But, I mean, overall, not a bad game for him throwing the football. His favorite target, which has been, you know, Marcus Mariota's favorite target as well this season, has been Drake London, the first-round pick for the Falcons out of USC. He would have seven receptions on the day for 96 yards receiving. The run game with Tyler Algier continues to be really solid. I mean, I've really liked what Tyler Algier has been able to do. You know, when Cordell Patterson went down with the injury and he stepped up to become the running back one for the Atlanta Falcons, I mean, he has he absolutely has not, you know, lost that job whatsoever, as he would have yet another 74 rushing yards in this game. But... I mean, man, this was just a really bad offensive game. You know, Drake London, who also has dealt with some turnover issues this year as well, he did have a fumble as well. But looking at the flip side for the Baltimore Ravens, you know, their defense was good. You know, despite not having Calais Campbell in this game, they still were able to get to the quarterback. They sacked Desmond Ritter twice. You know, offensively, with Tyler Huntley being a little bit banged up, he still looked really good. You know, not having to throw the football a lot because, well, to be frank, the run game was doing pretty good for the Ravens in this game. Gus Edwards had 99 yards receiving. J.K. Dobbins with 59 of his own. But Tyler Huntley, 9 of 17, 115 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. So didn't have to do anything crazy, but yet was still very effective. And, you know, also during the week, the Baltimore Ravens, they claimed their former wide receiver, Sammy Watkins, off of uh, waiver claims from the Green Bay Packers. And, well, Sammy Watkins' first catch as a Baltimore Raven just so happened to be a 40-yard reception in his only of the game. So not a bad game for Sammy Watkins being able to at least get one huge reception. As the Baltimore Ravens, in a very low-scoring affair, were able to beat Desmond Ritter and the Atlanta Falcons 17-9. As the Baltimore Ravens, they now improve to 10-5 and on the year. Despite being one of the more banged-up teams in all of the NFL, they're still in prime position to at least have one or two you know, home games in the playoffs. And then for the Atlanta Falcons, you know, 5-10, and 10, 
We expected this. There's no real shock to it. They're just going to continue to look in the draft and free agency, try and be able to build, you know, build their offense back up. And, I mean, I think they have a few young pieces to build around. Desmond Ritter has not looked bad these past few weeks that he's been starting, you know, last week against the Saints and now this week against the, the Ravens. He's looked pretty good. Tyler Algier might potentially be your running back one going forward if he's able to continue to play at this level. You know, Drake London's looked really good. You get Kyle Pitts back next year. So, Atlanta has a lot of young pieces to work with, but definitely they're going to have to kind of hit free agency a little bit harder just to you know add some more veteran presence to this very young team. Now, y'all, we would have one more game in our noon slate, but it would get delayed a little bit due to just blackouts and outages in Nashville, Tennessee. So that made things a little bit more interesting. But we're um, going to be going up to Nashville, Tennessee, obviously, as we had the Houston Texans taking on the Tennessee Titans in an AFC South matchup that, you know, if Tennessee lost, that would give the Jaguars a prime position to, you know, potentially take the number one spot in the AFC South and be able to get a wild card spot in the playoffs. But, you know, I'd actually talk about how this game would go. Very lackluster to say the least. Now, Derrick Henry, who continues to own all the AFC South, he had no issue really running the football in this game against the Texans. As Derrick Henry, he would have 23 carries on the day for 126 yards rushing and a touchdown. Malik Willis, who actually is going to be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season for the Titans, with Ryan Tannehill likely being out with the rest of the year due to an ankle injury, he would also be able to run the football pretty effectively. Seven carries for 43 yards rushing and one touchdown. But the only problem for Tennessee is the fact that Malik Willis, who absolutely was able to throw the football, sling the football, whatever you know type of word you want to use, whatever he was able to do during his time at Liberty has not really translated that well to the NFL as Malik Willis in this game would go 14-23 with her 99 yards throwing with zero touchdowns and two interceptions, one of those being the game-sealing interception to Houston Texans rookie safety Jalen Petrie who has been an absolute beast this year for the Texans. But, I mean, I don't want to put a lot of blame on Malik Willis because not only has he not really been able to, to develop, because once again, Malik Willis was going to be a project quarterback coming out of Liberty. He was not going to be able to be a quarterback that's going to immediately start in the NFL. But with Ryan Tannehill going down, they didn't really have another option, so they had to jump him in to the starting quarterback spot. And, well, it's not looking that great. And also the fact, too, that Tennessee's offensive line is just not really look that great and you know even the great day that Derrick Henry had having over 120 rushing yards he still fumbled the ball which which also was a very costly fumble so in this game Tennessee does not whatsoever deserve to make a playoff spot if a team had to come out of the AFC the AFC South it needs to be the Jaguars not the Titans because watching this game it was just absolutely painful if you were a Titans fan. And even for the Texans, who offensively were not that great, only had 250 passing yards total on the day. Davis Mills, 17-28, 178 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And then for the Houston Texans, you know, not having um, Damian Pierce in this game really killed the run game, which you would have thought, okay, Tennessee would take advantage of that. They did, only allowed 70 rushing yards, but still just – it's one of those games where I absolutely did not want to watch whatsoever because of just how lackluster it was. And, I mean, that was exactly how it was. But a lot, of, a lot of credit to Houston's defense because, once again, they come in and absolutely clutch up for their team as they have four total sacks on the day, eight tackle for losses. And Jalen Petrie, who I talked about that had the game-winning interception off of Malik Willis, he also had nine tackles on the day as well. So, I mean, I think the Houston Texans got themselves a steal at the um, safety position in Jalen Petrie. As the Houston Texans go on the road and potentially have played spoiler to 
the Tennessee Titans as Jack's as, uh, uh, oh, I can't even talk. As Houston goes on to beat the Tennessee Titans 19 to 14 as the Texans finally get their second win of the season and improve to 2-12 and 1 and then for the Tennessee Titans, I mean Dude, just just at this point, try and get a better draft pick because there's no point in even trying to make the playoffs unless you're a player because obviously you get added bonuses and everything like that. But the Titans, they finish – they're not finished the season. They finish – I can't even talk. I'm so sorry, y'all. They wrap up this game and have now fallen to 7-8 and eight on the season. And now we're technically in second in the AFC South as Jacksonville now has taken over at the top. So – Man, oh man, it's ooh-wee, Tennessee. I mean, ooh, not looking too great. So yeah, definitely, definitely a game that Tennessee should not have lost whatsoever. But anyways, y'all, we still have a lot more games we need to talk about. So now let's go down to our midday slate of games. We had two mid slate games, obviously. Um, and the first game I want to talk about, and what is, and what arguably is the biggest game that we had of the weekend, which has a lot of playoff implications for a lot of different teams. We had the Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Dallas Cowboys down in AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Now, for Philadelphia, they would be without their starting quarterback, Jalen Hurts, in this game as he was dealing with a shoulder injury. And Jalen Hurts likely will not even play next week against the Raiders either. So, in comes the man, the myth, the legend, the absolute just crazy man himself. Gardner Minshew as he now would be the starting quarterback for the Eagles going forward at least for these next few weeks and then for the Cowboys I mean you're coming off a disappointing week last week which you led at one point 21 to 7 over the Jaguars you allowed Trevor Lawrence and that team to come back and then you know the game winning pick six for the Jaguars in overtime against Dak Prescott so Cowboys are wanting to bounce back and definitely this is a game that you want to bounce back because it has a lot of playoff implications in terms of standings and seedings. So, anyway, into how this game would actually play out, you know, with the um, Philadelphia Eagles having, you know, their due starting quarterback as Gardner Minshew, it offensively would not be that bad of a game for Philadelphia. They were able to put up points in this game. Gardner Minshew, outside of making what would end up being two pretty costly interceptions, looked pretty good in this game. 24 of 40 for 355 yards passing with two touchdowns and two interceptions like we just talked about. Him and Devontae Smith were pretty much unstoppable in this game as long as, as well, along with A.J. Brown as that duo of wide receivers for the Eagles has just been utterly impossible to stop this year. Devontae, Devontae Smith in this game would absolutely just burn, and I mean burn the secondary of the Cowboys. A.J. Brown had himself a pretty good day against the all-pro cornerback of Trayvon Diggs for the Cowboys as Devontae Smith would have 113 receiving yards and two touchdowns on the day. Then A.J. Brown would add a, or yeah, A.J. Brown would add 103 of his own. Now, in the run game for the Eagles, it was pretty solid throughout the entirety of the game. Miles Sanders would have 21 carries for 65 yards rushing. But ultimately, despite having a pretty solid game and, you know, getting, you know, doing, doing the dirty work, it would really, he honestly would end up costing the Eagles this game as he would have one of the more costly fumbles in this game as he would give it right back to the Cowboys and prime Eagle, you know, literally right in Eagles territory. And despite the Cowboys not necessarily getting a touchdown on that drive, they were able to get a field goal to extend the lead to six points. And really, that would be all that the Cowboys, they would need because that would pretty much seal this game as Luckily enough for the Cowboys, their defense would come up clutch, deflecting the ball from Gardner Minshew on a fourth and long for the Philadelphia Eagles as the Cowboys are able to get a great Christmas Eve win over the rivals in the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles, 
forty to thirty four in what has been one of the better re- you know better reg- regular season games of the entire season. I mean, for the Cowboys, it was a rough start. Dak Prescott would immediately throw a pick six right to Josh Sweat, an edge rusher for the Philadelphia Eagles, and it looked like it was going to be another one of those games for Dak Prescott. And well, to Dak Prescott's credit, he balled out for the next three and a half quarters of football, going 27 to 35, 347 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. His favorite target, which should not come in any type of doubt, was CeeDee Lamb. CeeDee Lamb, you know, going across the middle of the field is already hard enough to guard. And well, for Philadelphia, their secondary really could not find any type of solution for CeeDee Lamb, as CeeDee would have 10 receptions for 120 yards receiving and two touchdowns. I mean, it's just this Dallas Cowboys offense was absolutely just dominating Philadelphia's defense, which I guess they caught the Eagles defense sleeping just a tad bit. Now, I know a lot of Philadelphia people are going to be like, well, we had our backup quarterback in and yada, yada, yada. Well, also remember, too, when y'all beat Dallas, Cooper Rush was the starting quarterback for the Cowboys in that game, too, early on in the season. So you split the, you split the season series one-to-one. But I think, honestly, in this game, this really proved that Dallas, they have the offense. I mean, they have the offense to make a deep playoff push, but can the defense be as consistent as they need to be, you know, showing up like they did against the Minnesota Vikings, you know, back, I think it was right before Thanksgiving. So a lot of concerns still for Dallas's defense, but definitely the offense stepped up big in this game. And, you know, one of the newest acquisitions that they got in T.Y. Hilton his first catch as a Cowboy was a 52-yard reception. For um, He only had one reception, but it was for 52 yards and would set up the Dallas Cowboys in equal territory. So I would say it was a pretty good game for Dak Prescott and the Cowboys offense as they're able to get a big-time win over their rivals, the Philadelphia Eagles, as... Now, you know, they're bettering themselves to get into a better playoff position. And, you know, worst case scenario, I think if I remember listening properly to some of the radio stations and everything like that, the Cowboys right now, for worst case scenario, will put them in the fifth seed in the NFC playoffs, which, funny enough, if Tampa Bay is able to win out and be able to get that fourth wild card spot, you know, win their division in the NFC South, which is still very much likely. And we'll talk a little bit about their game against the Arizona Cardinals a little bit later. We might potentially see another Cowboys and Buccaneers rematch to kick us off on Wild Card Weekend. So, anyway, just want to let y'all know that the Eagles, they finally got their second loss of the season, and it came against their arch rivals, the Dallas Cowboys. Now, y'all, for our second and final late slate game that we did have, we're going to go out to San Francisco as we had the San Francisco 49ers taking on the Washington Commanders. Now, Oh, it's it's the end of an era for the Washington Commanders as Taylor Heineke would get benched in this game in favor of Carson Wentz, who would come into this game and played really well. 12 of 16, 123 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Terry McLaurin also had himself a pretty good game, four receptions for 77 yards receiving and a touchdown. Jahan Dotson, their first-round pick, 76 yards receiving and a touchdown. Curtis Samuel, 52 yards receiving and one touchdown. So you look at those stats, you're like, wow, couldn't have been that bad of a game. But... We knew going to, from what we had heard from reports going into this game, Taylor Heineke was going to be on a very short leash because, well, to be frank, as much money as you know the Washington Commanders and as much as they gave up to get Carson Wentz, they still want to find if he have if he has any type of value of being the starting quarterback for them. But unfortunately, the defense, which has been really strong for Washington, I mean, has you know been kind of one of the few bright spots that they've had on this team, definitely got a little bit exposed in this game and. 
Well, to be frank, I mean, Brock Purdy looked good once again. 15-22, 234 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. And those two receiving touchdowns just so happened to be to his favorite target, George Kittle, as George Kittle, who is one of the best characters in all of the NFL, and in my opinion, one of the best tight ends in all of the NFL, as George Kittle would have six receptions for 120 yards receiving in this game with those two touchdowns we just talked about. But a ton of credit needs to be given to the San Francisco 49ers defense because they were able to hold Washington to barely under 20 points. I know they got 20, but we're still able to do a pretty good job of limiting them to a lot of explosive plays. Um, Christian McCaffrey, who may not have had his best statistical game, still had some type of impact, 46 rushing yards for a touchdown. But, I mean, man, just what – I mean, Brock Purdy continues to really impress in each you know, each and every single game he plays in. And, you know, going up against a really good Washington team was a really good statement for the San Francisco 49er team that, hey, you know, we're not just a two- to three-game fluke or four- to five-, six-, seven-game fluke, kind of like how the Seahawks were at the beginning of the year. But – yeah, San Francisco, they're going to get a great win against the Washington Commanders, 37-20 to as the 49ers. They now improve to 11-4 and on the season, and the Washington Commanders, they now fall to 7-7-1. and And really right now, I would say they'll probably end up not making the playoffs because I think the three other teams in the NFC East with the Cowboys, Eagles, and Giants, I think they'll all three find somehow, you know, especially the Giants, I think is more kind of the big question mark if they'll get into the playoffs. But definitely, we already know Dallas is clinched, Philadelphia is clinched. It's just waiting to see whether Washington or New York will be able to clinch into the playoffs. But Anyway, we still did have one more game here on Christmas Eve. As a note, I almost wanted to say Sunday Night Football, but we had a Saturday Night Football as we're going to go up to the Steel City in Pittsburgh as we had a snowy wonderland matchup between, and, you know, also also in the anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. You know, rest in peace to Franco Harris as he passed away um, earlier last week. But um, anyway, in this game between the Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh Steelers and the Las Vegas Raiders, Oh, buddy, buddy, buddy. Definitely, definitely kind of lived up to the whole stigma of primetime games this year have been definitely boring to watch for the NFL, which you look at all the Thursday night games we've had so far, definitely have been a little bit more snoozing to say the least. But, um, you know, actually talking about how this game would go, it was definitely a punt fest. You know, punt, 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 turnover, turnover, punt, turnover, turnover, punt. You know, not really a lot of very good, I guess you could say professional football, so to speak, but I can't really blame them because they were go they were you know battling in minus ten not minus ten degree, you know going in under ten degree weather with windshields that made it into like negative five degrees out, and it was snowing as well on top of that, so it was a little bit cold to say the least. But um, anyway, to how this game would actually go, we talked a little bit about turnovers being a big factor in this game, and that's exactly what would happen because. Derek Carr, who, man, oh, man, does he love throwing some interceptions. He would go 16-28 in this game for 174 yards passing with one touchdown and then two interceptions in this game. And the pass game was pretty much non-existent, especially with Devontae Adams, who now for the second straight week has not really looked that great. Devontae Adams only had two receptions for 15 yards receiving, despite being targeted eight times in this game. So not something you really want out of a guy that you, you know, you're paying over $200 million. Darren Waller with 58 receiving yards, Hunter Renfro with 42 and a touchdown. This was really not a game where you can be like, oh, wow, offense was so, so good because there wasn't a lot of offense, but the defenses for both these teams were pretty solid. And 
You know, a lot of credit to Pittsburgh's defense, which has been really good this year when healthy. Minka Fitzpatrick notched himself another interception. Arthur Mollett was able to get himself an interception. As a Pittsburgh Steelers, on the anniversary of the Immaculate Reception on primetime football in the snowy wonderland that was Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they were able to pull out a 13-10 win over the Las Vegas Raiders. And the best part about how this game would end would be the fact that Cameron Hayward's younger brother, Connor Hayward, who's a rookie out of Michigan State, he would actually get the game-sealing jet sweep, which would end up being for a 21-yard rushing. Or I, I, you would think it would be a reception, but it was a rushing, technically, rushing play, as that would seal the game as the Pittsburgh Steelers would get the first down to seal the deal. And, I mean, it's one of those games where, I mean, you expect it to be a defensive slugfest because, to be fair, both of these offenses are very lackluster. But, I mean, man, just the Las Vegas Raiders, the entirety of the AFC West outside of the Kansas City Chiefs, just what a disappointing year it's been for that you know that division as a whole. So, But anyway, enough about that. I don't want to keep rambling. The Pittsburgh Steelers were able to close out Christmas Eve with a W against the Las Vegas Raiders. Now that we're done talking about all of the uh, pre-Christmas games, now let's get to Christmas Day. And we only had three games on Christmas Day. You know, got to keep it pretty simple. We had our noon slate. Uh, late slate and then obviously our Sunday night football game which two of these three games definitely should have probably been flexed out and I'm talking about the Broncos and Rams and then the Cardinals and Buccaneers game but regardless we had football on Christmas Day so can't really complain too much but the first game that kicked us off on Christmas Day we had Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers going all the way down to sunny Miami Florida to take on Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, despite Miami losing last week on the road against Buffalo, their offense still looked pretty good. Jalen Waddle had over 100 receiving yards. Tyreek Hill had about 80. You know, even two attack by Loa looked pretty good. The run game was good. Raheem Mostert had over 100 rushing yards. The defense was still a little bit suspect. But this week, they're going up against a pretty deflated Green Bay Packer team. So it was going to be interesting to see how would, you know, two attack by Loa and the Miami Dolphins bounce back now that they are finally back in Miami and you know, if you were going to base your judgment off the first three quarters of football, Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins looked really good as going into the third quarter. Tua Tagovailoa had one, you know, one passing touchdown and no interceptions, which for him is a pretty good thing. But the problem would be in the fourth quarter, which, oh, Tua, man, he just, he completely reverted back from all the you know, improvements that he made and went back to, you know, just, Throwing careless passes. Jair Alexander got a you know interception. Russell Douglas got an interception. It was it was not a good fourth quarter for the Miami Dolphins um, offensively. Now defensively, they did pretty good in this game. Were able to hold their weight pretty much throughout the entire game. But the problem would be that Miami would not be able to capitalize when they would get the ball back. You know they were able to. Excuse me. They were able to stop a fourth down fake punt conversion by the Green Bay Packers. And, you know, we're not able to get a touchdown out of that, if I remember correctly. So, a lot of missed opportunities by the offense. But statistically-wise, Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill were absolutely amazing. Jalen Waddle had himself another great game with five receptions for 143 yards receiving and a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, he had 103 yards receiving. But it's just, it was the mistakes by Tua Tagovailoa that really costed this team, you know, the game, especially in the fourth quarter, because... 
two of his final interceptions that he threw to Devondre Campbell and to Rasul Douglas, they both would lead to two field goals, which would be the difference in this game and how Green Bay would end up winning it. Now, for um, Green Bay's side on offense, they didn't do anything that great. They really were not that effective. Aaron Rodgers was 24 of 38, 238 yards passing with a touchdown interception. You know, both these teams just dealt with a ton, and I mean a ton of turnover issues in this game. Tua also, he fumbled the ball twice, but luckily never lost any of them. Um, Aaron Rodgers also fumbled the ball once, but luckily never lost it. And I mean, it was it was one of those games where offensively both teams are not on their A game. But Green Bay, luckily enough, they had Mason Crosby as their kicker because he would nail every single kick that he had. And, you know, also the defense, they stepped up tremendously in this game. You know, Jair Alexander, especially with all the criticism that he got when he just now recently got elected to the Pro Bowl, shut a lot of that down in this game as the Miami, not the Miami Dolphins, as the Green Bay Packers were able to go down to Miami to kick us off on Christmas Day with a 26-20 upset win over the Miami Dolphins as the Green Bay Packers are somehow still alive in the playoff. I mean, it is... It's just funny because they needed certain teams to lose, and pretty much every single one of those teams that needed to lose, they lost this weekend. So luckily for the Packers, their playoff hopes still are alive. And then for the Miami Dolphins, you know, they now fall to 8-7, and seven, and your playoff hopes just continue to get slimmer and slimmer. And right now, the way that this team's playing, it just looks like a shell of itself from the first couple weeks of the season when they were just dominating, you know, had that big matchup against, you know, the um, Buffalo Bills down in Miami, in which they were able to beat Buffalo in that game too, but just it, Tua Tagovailoa just continues to struggle making accurate throws and puts his wide receivers in really bad positions that ultimately ends up costing them for an interception or a really risky catch. Like we've seen, we saw Jalen Waddle in this game have to climb up the ladder to get some catches and it was just not Tua's day. I mean, you look at the three, you know, the three first, you know, three quarters of football, the first three quarters, he looked pretty good. But once again, you've got to be able to close out games. And unfortunately in this game, Tua Tagovailoa was not able to do that. Now y'all, let's get to our next Christmas Day game and one of the games that I think most people were dreading myself included because well both of these teams who preseason were expected to be contenders in their own respective divisions the Rams coming off of a Super Bowl championship and then the Denver Broncos who are coming off a great trade getting Russell Wilson and then now you come to present day where both of these teams are four and ten and likely should have been flexed out of Christmas Day but anyway in this game we would see Baker Mayfield return as a starter last last they lost last week on the road in a very cold, and I mean very cold, Green Bay. But the week prior, they were able to get an upset win over the Raiders at home. So Baker Mayfield has still been pretty effective as a starting quarterback for the Rams. So going into this game, they're hoping that, hey, you don't have to do anything flashy. You don't have to be the Heisman Baker Mayfield. Just be able to complete the small passes and allow our weapons to do what they need to do. Got to get the run game going. And you know, going up against a really banged-up Denver defense and an offense that's just been absolutely horrendous, you know, historically horrendous. We would see that once again for the Denver Broncos as their offense in this game was just downright awful. Russell Wilson, who had shown at least somewhat of glimpses in the past few games that he was kind of improving, went right back to his old ways, would throw three interceptions in this game. It, it was just it was just a horrifyingly hard game to watch. As Russell Wilson's stat line on the day would be 15 of 27, 214 yards passing with one touchdown and then three interceptions on the day. This offense just could not get anything going. Now, pass-wise, Jerry Judy looked really good in this game. Six receptions for 117 yards receiving, but just Russell Wilson 
has looked like arguably one of, if not the worst quarterback in the NFL this season. And truly, I think at this point we can say the Seattle Seahawks absolutely fleeced the Denver Broncos in that trade because this trade has just absolutely gone off just horribly for the Broncos because, you know, at least if they didn't make that trade and they went for, you know, 4-11 and 11 now, they would get a top five pick, right? The worst part about it is that first round pick goes to Seattle, so Seattle's going to be getting a top five pick. So right now it's just some rough times in Denver, and to make matters worse, you know, behind the offense playing like absolute garbage in this game, the defense wasn't that good either. Baker Mayfield literally channeled his inner Heisman self, went back to his Oklahoma days, and went 24 of 28 for 230 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean. Baker Mayfield literally did not make, I think, one mistake really in this game. And, you know, the run game, which had been non-existent for the Rams the most part of this year, was just absolutely alive in this game. Cam Akers, who has dealt with some injury this this year right at the trade deadline, thought he was going to get traded, but decided to stay with the Rams. He balled out in this game, 23 carries for 118 yards rushing with three rushing touchdowns on the day. I mean, this Rams offense looked like the offense that we expected at the beginning of the year. And... You know, it's just funny that we're getting it now with Baker Mayfield as the starting quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams. Tyler Higbee would be the leading receiver for the Rams with nine receptions for 94 yards receiving and two touchdowns. So, I mean, the Rams were just clicking on all cylinders in offense. Really, you know, didn't struggle whatsoever. But the defense of the Rams was just absolutely dominant. Got to the quarterback six times in this game for six sacks. I mean, Denver's offensive line, which is really banged up, was just putrid in this game. I mean, could not block literally anything. Kind of using that flex uh, flex seal um, tape joke that I used a while back. Literally, if you had a broken, if you had a hole in a pipe or whatever, and you and you had flex seal, they couldn't even block that out to keep the water. So it 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 was just a rough day for Denver offensively. And then to make matters worse, you you know take out Russell Wilson at the end of the game. You're in garbage time. You know you're down. I think at that point you were down 44 to 14. Game's already over, but you put in Brett Ripien, which Brett Ripien got a little bit chippy with some of the offensive linemen for his where for the Broncos too. So this team right now is very just disgruntled, and you can tell definitely the chemistry is way off. And then to make matters worse, Brett Ripien comes into the game and on his first possession throws a pick six directly to rookie cornerback for the Rams, Kobe Durant, who was an absolute standout at South Carolina State. As Kobe Durant would go 100 yards, or not 100 yards, but go at about, I think it was about 70 or 80 yards for a pick six. I mean, this was just... This was just an outright. I mean, when I tell y'all this was a rough game for the Broncos, I mean, they legitimately got cold for Christmas the way this game was played. It was just outright bad. Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner would each get a pick, but Kobe Durant would arguably and probably will end up winning NFC Player of the Week. Defensive Player of the Week, my bad, as he had two interceptions in this game, one being that pick six we just talked about. As the L.A. Rams on Christmas Day decided to play, you know, spoiler, a.k.a. the Grinch, to the Denver Broncos as the Rams were going to beat the Broncos 51-14. to as a Rams, they now improve at least to 5-10. and 10. And then for the Denver Broncos, you know, you now fall to 4-11. and 11. Your coaching staff does not look that great. I know that I was very, you know, kind of giving um, Nathaniel Hackett a little bit more of a longer leash because it is his first year as a head coach. But, you know, watching this team and just seeing how all around how bad they are, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I really don't see a reason you give this staff another season outside of, you know, contract reasons. I really don't because, I mean, this team just, 
mean, it just makes no sense, you know, because this team was supposed to contend in the AFC, and now they're contending to be one of the worst teams in the AFC. Obviously, Houston has that title currently, but Denver, they're very much right in the thick of that. So anyway, the Broncos, their Christmas gets spoiled by the Los Angeles Rams by a score of 51-14. to Now, y'all, we had one final game on Christmas Day, and Another one of those games where you're like, man, could you just for the love of everything, just please flex it. Like, why do we have to have another one of these games? As we had Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Arizona Cardinals, who, mind you, are now down to their third quarterback in Trace McSorley. So this game from the get-go, you're already looking at it, you're like, this is just going to be dreadful offensively. The Buccaneers have struggled on offense. The Cardinals have struggled on offense. So it's going to be a matter of whose offense just – would suck the least, right? And, you know, into this game, both offenses really didn't even exist through about three and a half quarters, right? Like, I mean, it was a 6-6 to ball game with only a few minutes gone in the fourth quarter. I mean, it was was just a hard game to watch. Tom Brady was throwing interceptions like it was literally, you know, you're giving candy out to kids on Halloween at night. Tom Brady would throw two interceptions in this game, both to Marco Wilson, who... The name sounds a little bit familiar to you. That's because the former Florida quarterback was known for for his um for his legendary moment where he literally threw away the game against LSU back in 2020, where he literally threw an opponent's shoe and costed Florida that game. But anyway, Marco Wilson has kind of developed into a pretty solid cornerback for the Arizona Cardinals, and you know he showcased it in this game where he was able to get two interceptions off of Tom Brady, which both of those passes were just not really Tom Brady-like, and also Tom Brady would have had an easy touchdown reception to Julio Jones in the corner of the end zone early on in the game, but he overthrew him, and that was kind of the story of this game for Tampa Bay's you know, offense, not being able to throw the football down the field, which is something we've gotten kind of accustomed to throughout these you know past few years that Brady's been on the Buccaneers, but regardless, when it mattered the most, the offense finally schemed into the right scheme, and that would be throwing the football into the flat because Leonard Fournette was absolutely loving getting the ball in the flat. Had nine receptions for 90 yards receiving on the day. I mean, Leonard Fournette looked really good and also running the football as well. 20 carries for 72 yards rushing as well. So Leonard Fournette definitely helped carry this offense a little bit when they were slacking. Now for the defensive side of the football, the Buccaneers played pretty good in my opinion. I mean, you know, obviously they're super beat down with injuries, very similar to the offensive line. The secondary, which... Just it continued to get even, you know, even more scarce in the secondary. You know, Logan Ryan was battling an injury early on in the game, and definitely not a scene you want for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers if you are a fan of them. But regardless, you know, the defense they stepped up huge in this game when it mattered the most. And then for the Arizona Cardinals, no one really expected a lot out of this game, right? You know, you're down to your third string quarterback, Trace McSorley, who was a three year starter during his time at Penn State and was a really good quarterback. I mean, I'm not saying Trace McSorley's one of those, oh, God, he's a bad quarterback, because he's not at all. I mean, he showcased his arm a decent amount in this game and, you know, made you know made a few really good passes, which he had a long reception of Marquise Brown, which is a 47 yard reception, which was a really good throw. But, um, you know, still dealt with some issues. You know, this being his first career start ever now he's played in eight career games but this being his first ever actual start 
I wouldn't say he looked horrifyingly bad. 24 of 45, 217 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. Now, I will kind of count off that one interception because that one interception occurred right at the end of the first half when it was just a lob up to see if he potentially could get something out of it. So that one doesn't really count that much. But, you know, anyway, kind of talking back, now we're going to go to like the fourth quarter of the game when it was still 6-6. Six to six. You know, each team had gotten two field goals up to this point, and James Conner would finally snap that streak of pretty much no scoring as you would have a um, just a short rush into the end zone. Um, James Conner also had himself a pretty solid day running the football. 15 carries for 79 yards rushing and one touchdown. But, you know, unfortunately for the Arizona Cardinals, despite as good as their defense, you know, surprisingly did play in this game, the offense just would kind of shoot themselves in the foot a lot. Trace McSorley would have two fumbles in this game, which both would be recovered by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one which would end up really being the game-losing uh, turnover. And it just it was it was just a rough game. I mean, this game definitely was not one of those games that you're like, wow, I can't wait to finish off the Christmas slate of games watching this game because I know for me personally, I was already half asleep and having to see this game going to overtime. I was like, man, please do not tell me it's going to end up in a tie, and then you know it's just a waste of ten minutes. But luckily enough, Tampa Bay they would take advantage of that fumble. Or I think it was a punt. No, it was a punt because they had the fumble the drive before. But they're able to take advantage of getting the football back, drive down the field like Tom Brady just somehow always does. Connects with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and all of those guys. Russell Gage had himself a good reception to set the Tampa Bay Buccaneers up into prime field goal position. And then lo and behold, sets them up right for the field goal which would go right through the uprights from Ryan Suckup as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers to wrap up Christmas Day and Christmas night would be able to get a 19-16 to win over the Arizona Cardinals as the Buccaneers. All they have to do is win next week in or win next week at home against Carolina and they've clinched a playoff spot. They they will take over full control of the NFC South and still I think, you know, they're not a bad team. They've got the talent, but man, this team just being coach-wise, it was rough. It was definitely a rough game, especially for Tom Brady, but when it matters the most, he came up clutch and I mean, another one of those Tom Brady games where it's kind of similar to the, you know, the Buccaneers and Saints Monday Night Football game a few weeks ago where they were horrendous through three and a half quarters of football, but when it mattered the most in those crucial moments, Tom Brady came up clutch. So anyway, the Buccaneers to wrap up Sunday would get a 19 to 16 win over the Arizona Cardinals. Now, y'all, this that would not be our final game. We still ha did have one more game here on Week 16 slate as we're going to go out to Monday Night Football as we had the Los Angeles Chargers taking on the um, Indianapolis Colts. Now, for the Colts, you're coming off one of the most historically bad comebacks in NFL history and actually the biggest comeback in NFL history. So you're not feeling too great, right? You know, you, you literally just allowed the Minnesota Vikings to pretty much just absolutely embarrass you in the second half offensively you were not able to do anything Jonathan Taylor was out with an injury so the Colts this Colts team going into this game was already pretty much you know really demotivated and then for the Los Angeles Chargers you know last week it was definitely a little bit of a struggle for Justin Herbert but when it mattered the most very similar to Tom Brady he came up clutch in that game-winning drive which would set up the game-winning field goal for Cameron Dicker aka Dicker the kicker, one of my favorite kickers of all time. But, um, you know, to actually talking about how this game would go, which would be our final game of Week 16, it definitely was another rough primetime matchup to watch. And not necessarily for, you know, just really bad offense because 
there was a lot of bad offense, and I was about to, I don't know what I was about to say there, but Indianapolis, man, you know, they decided to pull the switch on Matt Ryan once again after they did it with Sam Ellinger a few weeks ago, went back to Matt Ryan, now they're doing it again, but this time would go with Nick Foles, and while I don't think that decision was any better than if you had kept Matt Ryan because Nick Foles would go 17-29, 143 yards passing with zero touchdowns and three interceptions. With And all three of those came in the first half. Two of those came in the first quarter. It was just unbelievably rough if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan trying to watch this game. The offense was just non-existent. Didn't even get a touchdown at all in this game. And, I mean, it was just it was rough. And the defense didn't even play really that bad. But for the Los Angeles Chargers, luckily enough, their offense was just a tad bit better. Justin Herbert, 24-31, 235 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. But not really that bad. You know, obviously he didn't get a passing touchdown, but still was pretty effective. Definitely went back to his old favorite target in Keenan Allen. Had 11 receptions for 104 yards receiving. And then Austin Eckler, who everybody loves in fantasy. And, well, if you had him in fantasy in this game, you definitely were happy. 18 carries for 67 yards rushing and two touchdowns. As there were a buttload of sacks in this game, 11 sacks combined. But for Indianapolis, their offensive line, which is supposed to be one of their strong suits, would give up seven sacks in this game. Yes, you you read that right. Seven sacks. Morgan Fox, he would have two of those sacks. As this game was just pretty much just the L.A. Chargers toying with the Indianapolis Colts the entire game. The Colts defense pretty much could never get off the field as the Los Angeles Chargers to wrap up Week 16 would dominate the Colts on Monday Night Football 20-3 as the Chargers, they now improve to 9-6 and on the season. And then for the Indianapolis Colts, they now fall to 4-10-1. I mean, man, just... I really would not be surprised if we somehow see Jeff Saturday get fired and become the first ever interim head coach to be fired for replacing a fired head coach. So just some really rough times going on right now in Indianapolis. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's recap episode of all of the games from week 17 or week 16. Let me know which games y'all enjoyed the most. I hope y'all had an amazing holiday weekend. I hope you enjoyed all of the great games we had going on. Please make sure that you do stick around for our preview episodes, which come out on Wednesday. We have NFL week 17 preview and college football bowl season week three preview episodes, which both will come out on Wednesday. So, guys, thank you so much for all your support, and I will catch y'all back here tomorrow for both of those episodes. Peace, y'all.